the call. And as we think about that call to worship, we want to look at that theme of constructing the church. Constructing the church. And um, build as God truly leads and directs his church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Notice what the Bible teaches us in verse number 28. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. I want you to give the word of God a hearing this morning. I'm going to be practical. I don't anticipate being very lengthy this morning as we, of course, have a meeting afterwards. I want to get right into what God has for us. So let's pray and ask God, please, to bless the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to grow as a church. God, your church is truly of great value. God, you are the one that established it. The Bible says you died for the church. And God, we're thankful truly this morning that you are the cornerstone. You are that chief cornerstone. And God, I pray that you would help us today as we look at the Word of God, that you would teach us, grow us. God, as we learn more about Jesus, I pray that you would help us through your Word. Holy Spirit of God, we give this time to you. Lead, guide, and teach as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Years ago, my family and I moved into a home that had a garage. And as we moved into this home that had a garage, it was going to be a first opportunity to set up a proper workshop, a place and woodworking and things like that. And I was excited and I was looking forward to a great, great time and uh, doing my thing out in the garage. But in order to do so, we need to create a little bit of space. We need to create a little bit of opportunity. Uh, in order to create a little bit of space, we needed a place to put our gardening tools, uh, the lawnmower and all the other things that was necessary and needed. And so this home did not have an outdoor shed or a garden. And so we thought, let's build one. And so we got permission to build one uh, from the landlord, and we began that process of building and as we bought a not a prefabricated one but one that was uh, working or one that was somewhat assembled as far as the main bits but you had to put it all together and actually build it properly and as we were preparing for that and watched for the delivery of that shed it came with plans with some sketches and drawings, of course, of how the should look like after you are done building it. It gave pictures and a little bit of an outline and, you know, gave all the things very much like the sketches, the drawings we have there. But, of course, in a little more detail as it showed where everything was supposed to fit together. And so we did just that. We started looking at instructions to follow to make the shed look like the drawings indicated that it should look like and we did it pretty closely i mean it was there was a few things that wasn't quite right you know we found that the door should not be on the roof um, and the windows were not the best thing on the floor we found that out um, and after a few corrections we got to know it none of it was there uh, we did it it looked, turned out very very well but there was some work there was some construction there was some preparation for that shed to be built and to be put together you know anything worth doing is going to take some planning it's going to take some preparation it's going to take some work and it's going to take a design We've spoke already that as God speaks and organizes the church, that he does so with the design and process. 
God has a design for the local church, and truly, He does. Paul mentions the building of the church here at the end of chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians. And as he speaks of how this church or how the church is built or constructed, how it's put together, he shows us some key parts to the construction of this church. First of all, with any building, just like that garden shed we built, there has to be a foundation. You don't start with the roof, do you? You start with the bottom. You start with the foundation. You start with that establishing that building so when you put the roof on, it has a solid foundation to stand. The foundation is so very vital. Paul speaks of the foundation in verse number 28. Look at it with me, please. The Bible says, and God has set some in the church. Stop there for just a moment. The Bible tells us that God sets. That word set there means to appoint or to assign a duty. God assigns or appoints his people as part of the church. He does so and puts people into the church in a role and a position that completes and perfects the child of God. Have you ever been forced to fit into a role at work or in school or some area of life in which you were not prepared for or desirous of in any way? Before my wife and I got married, the summer before that, I decided to get a second job in addition to my full-time job. I was working about 50 to 60 hours um, on my regular job. Uh, working into the wee hours of the morning, and I decided that I could earn a little more money because I wanted to propose to my wife. And I wanted to earn money and to get some additional cash for an engagement ring. And so I decided not only to put in overtime uh, at the company I worked for, but also to work a second job in addition to that to earn even more money and to make it even easier to earn money that I wanted to buy the engagement ring for. And so I looked and I found, through a recommendation of a friend, a job at a place in which he worked, the local Pizza Hut. Now, Pizza Hut is not my desirous place of employment. I have zero desire to work at Pizza Hut. I don't want to. If I ever have to, okay, it would be for a certain time, but it's not going to be my first choice. I'm not one that would fit in that role. It was for a means, it was for, a, it was for a time. In fact, it was for just a couple of weeks because I was working for so many hours and only getting a few hours of sleep after two weeks of working at Pizza Hut and this other full-time job running between the two, working nearly 20 hours out of a 24-hour day. I said, I can't do this anymore. One has to go, and it's going to be Pizza Hut. And uh, I don't regret that choice because after two weeks, I got about $90 for working two weeks. And I thought that wasn't worth it at all. It didn't even barely pay for my petrol, let alone <laughs> to be able to earn money for an engagement ring. It wasn't worth my time. I was not enjoying that time of working in, this, in, in that company. That's me. All of us have probably put them in different places in our time in which we thought this is not us. I can't wait to get out of this position. I can't wait to find something else because this is not a good fit. Sometimes we look at the, at the church and we think that's exactly what God is going to do to us in the church. That's not what God does. God doesn't push us and force us into a role and say, like it or lump it, you're here. No, no, no. He sets us. He puts us in a position, he puts us in a place that, comp uh, that completes and perfects the child of God. Remember, God is good. Everyone has our best in mind. He doesn't force us like a square peg into a round hole. He doesn't 
push us into an area in which doesn't fulfill or complete us as children of God, but rather it's just the opposite. God sets us in a place that completes us, that perfects and shapes us, that builds us, and edifies our life. God puts us in a place in which is going to further our wonderful relationship with him and cause us to truly to be firmly set in him. God sets some in the church. Thank God for that. Thank God that he doesn't force us. He leads and guides and grows and perfects us. He is a good God. But as he sets some in the church, Paul speaks of some roles in which Paul or which God sets some in the church. Now remember, he's speaking to the church in Corinth. A different time, a time in which, in context, the canon of Scripture was not fully given. Notice what the Bible says, how he sets in the church. First, apostles. When we built that shed years ago, we had to make sure that the ground was prepared. We dug up the lawn and we rolled it up and we moved that and the dirt we found the low point of the square in which the shed was going to be and leveled everything to that lowest point we then got some gravel and we put that gravel down we got some uh, on top of that gravel a, a foundation material that we could then set with more stone and more uh, and more gravel to be able to let make sure it's level and firm. The foundation was important. If it was not level, the building would not be level. If it wasn't built well or well uh, 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 well prepared, that building would start to have issues and start to crack and start to uh, develop some problems. Even though it was just to store a few garden tools, it still would have windows possibly breaking, door not seating correctly. It would develop issues over time. And so we made a full note to make sure that that foundation was straight. It was important. It was vital that that foundation was set. God knew that the foundation for the church needed to be set. It needed to be well built. It needed to be solid. It needed to be solidly put together. This is how God used the apostles. The apostles were the foundation or laid the foundation for the church. God used their teaching, we'll see that in just a moment, to build a solid foundation. What is an apostle? An apostle is one that has seen the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry. He was here for 33 and a half years. And an apostle is one that was like the disciples, that served and followed Christ while he was here on this earth. The only exception to that was the apostle Paul. The Bible tells us that he was one out of due order, where Jesus Christ chose to appear to him on the road to Damascus, The Bible teaches us that he was the only exception to the disciples and to the apostles that were already there. The apostleship does not exist today. It was already established. No one has seen the Lord in his ministry. No one. That happened 2,000 years ago. If there's someone that's claiming to be an apostle, they're either really old... (laughs) Or B, they're deceived. They are ignorant of the Scripture. They lack knowledge in that area. An apostle was one that worked with Christ. And God would confirm the apostleship of the disciples and of Paul, as we mentioned, with signs and miracles that truly validated that God was with them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 12, we see this verse. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, 
in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. You look at the apostles, Peter, John, Mark, and then, and you see how God truly used their lives in a powerful way. So many mighty deeds were done. So many miracles that they had a hand and uh, a, a hand in God putting upon their life to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many things and examples that we can look at, but God powerfully set them in an example and showed that He was for the apostles. They would become that foundation of the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me, verse number 20. We're going to do a little bit of teaching this morning. We'll get to some preaching here in just a few moments. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 20. Notice what the Bible says. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself, notice this, being the chief cornerstone. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He is that chief rock cornerstone. He is the one where everything is built to and everything looks to. Everything gets its focus from that chief cornerstone. And God tells us that he is that bedrock. He is that foundation point. And the apostles and the prophets are the ones that God would use as a foundation to the church. Look at the Bible, what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse number 4, please. Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the, by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel so once again god tells us that the gospel was the forethought the gospel was the apostles and prophets focus that was that that was that in which they were pointing towards and directing everyone towards was the gospel of christ but god would use the prophets to further the gospel of jesus christ and to set a foundation that the church can build upon when the Apostle John died on the Isle of Patmos, he ended that apostolic age. Many of the books of the New Testament were written by the Apostles. Many. It's incredible to see how God truly used these Apostles to give us the Word of God. And thank God for their teaching. Thank God for the Holy Spirit working through them to give us his holy word god set a foundation through the apostles to the church god set a foundation that would be firmly grounded and rooted upon the word of god as they were given the word of god the bible teaches us that the foundation was set through the apostles but notice how it continues to be set, how that foundation, including what I'm calling the floor, that concrete slab, that concrete area in which Ye develops and not uh, 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 develops and uh, uh, and prepares for what is to be built upon. Secondly, in our text, he gives prophets. The Bible teaches us. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 42, And they continued, speaking of the church, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. The Bible teaches us that the church continued in the apostles' doctrine. That's important because how does all the churches all the local churches, there was one church in Jerusalem. God would scatter that church. There would be other churches, many other churches. But how would these churches know the apostles' doctrine? As God was giving them, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, how did all these different ministries know 
what God was teaching to the apostles when not all of it was written down yet. Remember, we got to go in context here. If we start applying our situation today to what God was establishing in that first century, we cannot, or we can come into a point in which we are not rightly dividing the Word of God, as we'll see in just a moment. It's important to put things in proper context. That's why it's important to understand that God set the foundation with the apostles. He gave the Word of God through that apostleship, and then He prophets to do what to teach and to carry on what the apostles taught to other ministries to other churches how did the church in ephesus know what uh, know what peter taught through a prophet who would then tell what peter taught another ministry how important it is for us to understand that God grew or found, founded His church and then developed and confirmed uh, and confirmed that foundation, if we can put it that way, across other ministries, the ministry of the prophet. You see, as God gave the New Testament through the disciples, and the canon of Scripture began to be developed, the prophets of the New Testament would then teach that which the apostles gave through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. This ministry, in essence, was a ministry of passing along to the local churches the truth that was made available to the church, mostly by the apostles. And as the Word of God would become written, and the canon of Scripture, and I'll, uh, I'll define that in just a moment, uh, was put into circulation, the need for the prophets declined. There wouldn't be a need when God put all of his word in written form and then would preserve it for every generation. And that's what happened when the New Testament canon, and when we say canon, that means a genuine book of the Holy Scripture or books of the Holy Scripture completely given and nothing lacking. So when God completed all of his Holy Scriptures, that unique of gift of prophecy would not need to be furthered because he's given it he's preserved it in print he's preserved it from one generation to another the prophet would not need to continue because god fully completed it the bible tells us in 1 corinthians chapter 13 notice what the bible says in verse number eight charity never faileth we're going to look at charity in the coming weeks whether there be prophecies they shall fail. The Bible teaches us that prophecies, that role of the prophet, would what? It would end. It would cease. It would not be needed once God completed his scripture and gave it in form to carry on from generation to generation. The role of the prophet was truly that of lead of following the leading of the spirit of god in chapter 14 in 1 corinthians notice what the bible says in verse number 32 the bible says and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets what is that speaking of that means god does did not force the prophets to do that which was not out of character or out of their own will god led and as god led them they willingly followed they willingly subjected or submitted their spirit to what god was leading and guiding god did not force anyone to do something in which they did not want to do god led and gave them a heart for it god gave them a desire for it god gave them a role for that time to further the gospel of jesus christ and the Bible teaches us that these prophets willingly yielded to the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 20, notice Scripture here, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. What does that mean? That means as the Scripture was given, the New Testament prophets did not add anything to what they thought the apostles should have said or should not have said 
they didn't take that interpretation privately and said, well, Peter said this, but, you know, it really should be said this. He didn't, they didn't say, well, Paul said this, but I'm going to change it to do that. They simply gave it, they, uh, they simply told it as God had given it through the apostleship. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It's incredible at how God places a desire upon one heart and makes it perfectly timed. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking with some counselors. I have a multitude of counselors that I seek advice and counsel from. And as I was speaking to several of my counselors, it was uncanny at how they said, you know, Justin, I was just going to call you. Or I was thinking about this you this week, and I meant to call you, and I didn't, and here you're now calling me. What was that? That was the moving of the Spirit of God. That was God putting desire upon their heart. God does that. That's what God did with these prophets. He moved their heart desire upon their heart to take what paul said to the church in corinth and tell it to the church in thessalonica to take what was said in thessalonica and tell it to the church in philippi to take what was said in philippi and tell it to the brethren in the church in jerusalem and on and on and on we could go it's were the messengers that word for word took the scriptures and gave it to others. They truly would not add or take away from what God had said. Why would they not do so? Because God gave a warning about that very thing. In Revelation chapter 22, verse number 18, the Bible says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things god shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book and if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy god shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in his book that's a dire warning right there that god gave to those who wanted to weigh or to add what God had given through divine inspiration of the Spirit of God. The prophets were those who took the Word of God that was given in this first century of Christianity and told others what God had taught. That's exactly what the role of the prophet was in this first century Christianity in the New Testament church. Now, He's given us a foundation. He's given us a foundation of the apostles building the framework and the footing. He's given the prophets that in which we're to add to, if we can call it the floor, so to speak, of this building. And then the framework, all that's framing together, all that is going into uh, in to make the church and to build. in verse number 28 first apostles secondarily prophets thirdly teachers the bible teaches us that teachers were the given to be the framework that rest upon the foundation the foundation truly is vital the foundation is truly important the foundation is very vital, but that framework that goes together, the framework that builds the church, comes through teachers, through the teaching ministry that God gave and God has given. You see, God gave the church teachers. There was a couple that the church in Corinth knew called Aquila and Priscilla. 
there were tent makers. They, uh, they were tent makers with Paul in Corinth. And God would use their teaching ministry to further the church. Notice what the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, verse number 24, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the Spirit. He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. The Bible teaches us that God used Aquila and Priscilla to teach Apollos, who would then become one of the leaders or one of the pastors that Corinth would have for a time. God used these dear people, this dear couple, to teach and to help a man who would eventually become the pastor of the very church that they helped start. There's so much that God gives through teaching and the introduction that he gives to teaching the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There are times in which I help someone understand that there are multiple doctrines, multiple applications of Scripture that one is trying to combine into one doctrine. And sometimes God uses those things to uh, help us to understand that, that we can take some doctrines and conform them into something in which God does not want it to be stated or does not teach. It's so important that a child of God rightly divides the word of truth, how important it is. And that's what a teacher does. God gives the church teachers. The apostleship passed away. The prophets ended. But God continues the teaching ministry of the church. The Bible teaches us that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, a bishop is one of the three roles that God gives a pastor of a local church. A pastor, in essence, of a church has three full-time jobs that he is working all the time. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of prayer. It's a lot to do. But the part of a bishop is that one that oversees or watches over the ministry. In other words, he's watching and making sure that the Sunday school is running and that the creche is running and that making sure that the curriculum is being taught and making sure that the usheries uh, have what is needed to carry out their ministry and their role and try to make sure that all the different aspects of a ministry and as a ministry grows, that all, area, that all areas of the ministry have what the tools that are needed to continue preaching and teaching the Word of God. It's an important role. And that desire of an office of a bishop, notice Paul says, he desireth a good work. It's a good thing to desire, to want to be an overseer or a pastor of a ministry. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. One of the roles that God gives the teaching ministry of the church to is through the pastor. But not only through the pastor, but also through teachers. Through those who aren't leading a ministry as far as uh, 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 the pastoral ministry, but teaching in Sunday school, teaching even in crash, teaching others through prayer, teaching others uh, uh, in aspects of the ministry as God opens and gives roles to do. And that area is demonstrated over and over again in the Word of God, even all the way in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us in Jan and Dan uh, Daniel uh, had this very heart wanting and desirous to teach. In Daniel chapter 9, verse number 2, notice how Daniel describes it. 
In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years, wherefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Daniel said, I saw what Scripture said, and I came to understand what was said, and I'm teaching that which Jeremiah said. What did Daniel do? He saw the Word of God, and he taught the Word of God. God gives teachers to the local church, and thank God that he does. We need to learn, we need to grow, and we want to grow as a body of believers. And God gives apostles, prophets, and he gave those to the, local, to the first century church. Now that the canon of Scripture is fulfilled, those offices are now done away. But God continues to give teachers to the church. And God supported this work. God supported it wonderfully. I want us to look thir- uh, secondly this morning, as we continue through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 28, the supports that God gave to the foundation. When a foundation is being laid, there's some new homes that have been being built. And as you see the new homes that are being built in this area, you see that as they pour the concrete for the foundation, as they set those things in place, there are what? There's supports. There's work that's going around that concrete that's being laid and being built. Why? To support it as the cement dries and as that concrete sets so it doesn't flow out and be disformed or disfigured. They, there is framework that goes around it to not... Uh, to not Uh, replace the concrete but to support it at the time that it is needed as the walls go up there are supports that are needed as we built that shed in our garden there as we put those walls up we could not just simply stand there and hold some of the walls we needed to put supports put some timber up against it why to make sure that it was straight to make sure that it was level so we can make any adjustments that are needed as we would then begin to screw and to nail that wall together there was supports that were needed but those supports did not stay those supports were temporary that framework that's built around the foundation is temporary it's taken away the supports holding up the timber of the walls is temporary it's taken away such is the case with these gifts with these offices these things in which god gave the first century church notice what the bible teaches us here god has set some in the church first apostles secondarily prophets thirdly teachers after that in other words paul is stating there's a great divide between the first three and what he's about to state there's a gap there after that miracles then gifts of healing Paul here speaks of two gifts that he was going that God was going to give that were called sign gifts. The gifts of miracles. They were power over situations and the gifts of healing, power over sickness. Teaching has always been more important than these sign gifts. Always has and always will be. These sign gifts were out of a love and mercy and grace of God. As God would give the Jews signs that they were looking for, that he is God and that he is establishing the local church. John chapter 2 and verse number, verse number 18 states it this way, Then answered Jesus, uh, the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us? What were the Jews looking for? They were looking for a sign. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 22, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. God has given sign after sign after sign. He gave sign after sign after sign that He is God. He has given sign after sign after sign through the apostleship and even through the prophets that He is 
behind what God has established, that he is supporting it, that that framework that is being built, he is for, and he truly uh, supports and has established through these sign gifts his authority behind these areas of the church. Remember, the church is new. The church is still being tested as being true under God, uh, true with God, and God was trying to support, to hold up, in essence, this new construction and encouraging others who were questioning whether or not God was for the church, that he and truly is the designer and the creator and is constructing the church as he saw fit. And he was supporting that with the sign gifts of miracles and healings. They were for a time. They were for a moment. They were not necessary all the time. And they are not necessary today. Why? Because God has established it. God has fully given us the answers we are looking for that God is for the church. I hear some Christians today saying that these gifts of miracles and healing still need to go on today. May I ask the question, why? Is God's word not enough? Did the miracles that God fully completed through, Pe- uh, uh, through Peter in rising Tabitha from the dead, not enough for you? Why does he need to continue the miracles and healings in which God truly gave to the first church? Just because they happened years ago, does that make them invalid today? We can point to that support that was there. What a powerful support of seeing people rise from the dead. What powerful support of seeing sickness and hearing the testimonies of how God healed and how God performed some amazing things in the book of Acts and throughout parts of the New Testament in just profound and miraculous and awe-inspiring ways. God did that. We could point to those supports, but let's just simply state as a Bible-believing church, our foundation's built upon all those things. Our foundation is built upon what the apostles taught. We're teaching what an apostle, Peter or Paul, taught today. We're teaching what the prophet had preserved, or God used that prophet to preserve in Scripture. We're teaching that today. We're teaching the same truth. It's built upon that foundation. Does that foundation still need to be supported after it's fully established? After a home is built, do you leave the supports around the walls? After the home has been framed in and has been put together and has been constructed, do you still leave all the supports that went into making that building up? No. You take it away. Why? Because it's not necessary. Such is the case with the local New Testament church. God powerfully provided miracles to establish that his word is true and that he is behind the church, but it is something that was only a temporary thing. Now, please don't misunderstand me tonight. I'm in no, claim, I'm in no way claiming that God does not or cannot do miracles today. We have prayed for individuals and we have seen God bring healing. We have seen God do miracles even in this church. It's incredible at all the stories. I was reminded of one this week as I was thinking and studying of how I'm standing in the very place in which there was a pool table. We came and I remember as we looked at that pool table and saw that and we wondered, okay, what is everyone going to think about this? What is the community thinking about this? And we began to talk and we began to muse and ask God, okay, what would we want to do with this? 
And then I remember Steve Atkins talking about how we were using that practice piano or that electric practice piano that's in the Sunday school room now. It was where the PA system is now. And I remember uh, that being placed over there. And we were wanting, of course, to get uh, a piano. And we were wanting to get a grand piano because we were thinking and leaning towards putting even this very platform in. And we were pondering at that time. And the pool table was still here. And I remember us saying let's let's sell this pool table and we sold it for 386 pounds and 20 pence and that same week steve atkins said i found a grand piano over in southport how much is it it's 330 pounds and we bought this piano for less than what we sold the pool table for this is incredible of course we refurbished it it needed some refurbishment and it's worth many many times what we paid for it and thank god for how god provided that was a truly an astounding miracle of god and how he provided it i'm thankful we sold the pool table amen i like this sound a little better don't you than pool balls i'm thankful we did that god truly gave a miracle in that way i remember See, I, I remember, I love the story. We were speaking to Harley this week, John and I were. I remember he, or he was telling a story about how he came to this church and of the two ladies that invited him to church that he has never seen in this church. He's never seen them. Doesn't even know where they came. He's described them to me, and I have never seen ladies that match that description that knocked on his door. It doesn't make sense except God. God does some incredible things. God can do miracles. I don't know if it was angels that came to his door. I don't know how those ladies somehow knocked on their door and invited them to Scummersdale Baptist Church. But thank God that God used some incredible works to do what? To assure our hearts. Were those miracles that truly were to establish the local church? No, but it was to assure us. It was to give evidence that God truly is behind what he is doing. The framework of the miracles and the healings in the past are that. They're testimonies. We have them recorded to us. It gives further evidence that as our foundation goes back to what the apostles' doctrine is and what God preserved in his word is valid and secure and it's well-built and well-established and it was well-supported, it gives evidence to that, but it's not something and truly which we ought to seek today. God used that for a time. And that has finished. He still can. He's God. But the primary need of the supports is not a necessity. Thirdly, look at the decorating, and I need a hasten here this morning. The Bible teaches us he gave one after that miracles, then gifts of healing, again, supports for a time, and then helps. God gives a church, or God gives some in the church, the ministry of helps. Helps is what the Bible describes. The Holy Spirit is part of his role as God the Spirit. The Bible tells us in John chapter 14, verse number 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. That word comforter there speaks of an advocate or a helper he is one that helps us paul states it this way in romans chapter 8 verse number 26 likewise the spirit helpeth also helpeth our infirmities one of the roles of the holy spirit of god is to help us to serve and to help and to aid and to guide and the holy spirit instills this into others hearts the Bible speaks of one lady who was pleading for that help. In Luke chapter 10 and verse number 40, the Bible says, But Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. The Bible speaks that Martha was busy serving. She loved to serve. That was her role. That was her gift. That was her talent. But she got distracted by that. In fact, she got so distracted with it that she was trying to take someone 
from an area, from a, from a role of loving on Christ that God says, so I'm not going to take that away from her. But God inspires, God instills, the Holy Spirit leads some to have a heart of service. A heart of serving. How can I help? What area can I serve in? How can I be a part of a ministry? How can I work in that area? Can I serve in that role? Can I help with the crash? Can I help in Sunday school? Can I help uh, encourage and work in an area of ministry? Work during a service? Can I help do those things? And God gives that. God gives a ministry of helps. And God still, and of course, truly does so. Continuing in verse number 28, notice what the Bible says. Governments. God gives helps and governments as he decorates, as he puts the touches, if we can say it that way, upon the framework of the church, the gift of governments. The gift of governments is the Greek word, kubernesis, which means administration or steering. It is an administration with understanding as the act of setting and holding the course. In essence, it's guiding and directing. It's saying, here's the direction we're going. Here's how we're going to go forward. Here's the decisions that need to be made. And making sure the administration of a local church is well-established and guided well. In a ministry today, that is such a vital, vital gift. It's always been vital, but as we see so many different aspects of a ministry today with all the technology and all the different areas of service, it is such an important part of the ministry today. Buildings, staff, programs, ministries all have to be steered, all have to be guided, and the gift of administration is a vital component of making sure that we are being above board and honest, making sure the bills are being paid, paid on time, making sure that the lights stay on, and making sure that the water is paid, making sure that all the different aspects of a ministry is cared for, the gift of administrations. It takes a lot of work. A lot of it goes unseen. A lot of it is not thanked. But thank God for that gift of administrations. Paul saw the gift of administration as a valued gift. I can only envision as he thought about this church in Corinth that he would rather have one or two gifted men in administration than thousands in a, uh, in a balcony who could babble in tongues. He knew the value of governments, of administration in the local church. And then Paul ends with diversities of tongues. Remember, Paul is setting out in order here. The least of the gifts, the least desirable gift in a ministry is the gift of tongues. It's still a gift, but Paul speaks and puts it clearly all the way at the bottom. He says it is important to understand that as a church is grows and other languages come and be a part to be able to teach them also and to be able to help them and if god brings some families that speak only romanian or polish or whatever the language is that he brings here it would be important to one day have an interpreter someone who could speak that language to minister to them and help them to hear the glorious gospel of christ and to bless and work in that area right now we are english speaking is that a gift that is of a diversity of, of tongues? Is that a gift that is necessary in this local church? Not at this time. One day it might be, and by God's grace, it will be one day. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a Romanian ministry and a Polish ministry? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have uh, uh, nationalities from around the world ministered to under one local church? How wonderful that would be. We truly need to make sure that we emphasize this in its proper place. There are some ministries today that put all of the emphasis upon that lowest gift. In fact, they put so much emphasis upon it that they are willing to, as they state, and I've heard the testimonies and I've talked with individuals, 
that open themselves up to practices that are borderline demonic in root and instruction. They're willing to accept satanic teaching to what to open them up to what they call as teaching to the Spirit of God. Very careful with that. Is it a tool to use to further the gospel? Yes, it is, but it's a language. It's a language that one speaks to communicate the gospel. Remember, Jesus is Lord. He is the gospel. We are supposed to be speaking of Christ. Not building ourselves up, but furthering the name of Jesus. May we never lose that focus. May we never lose that heartbeat. Paul gives how God constructed the church through the foundation of giving the word of God and of teaching the word of God. Through the support for a time of the miracles and healings that he gave to that first church. And God may assure a church occasionally at that time. And thank God for those times in which he does. And then God gives areas of service in the church in which we can serve and grow together as children of believer and reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And by the way, Matt, 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 I said diversity of tongues, something we don't even have here, but uh, that's not fully correct. We have people in Romania that are preaching the gospel as supported missionaries who are preaching Romanian today. That is the diversity of tongues. We have people in Italy who are speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ in that local language. We have one in Ireland who is speaking Irish and speaking all the things in which they speak uh, there. I remember years ago, we had a, we had a missionary at another church. Uh, his name was O'Keefe. I looked at that name, and I was, just, I was determined to say O'Keefe. And every, all, all the time that he was there, it looked like O'Keefe to me, and that's how his name was. And then about the last day of the missions conference, he said, Justin, it's O'Keefe. I thought, why didn't you tell me that on day one? Uh, but uh, however, the, all the languages in which they speak and such, and we have missionaries in different parts of the world preaching in different languages today. So in part, yes, we do have a tongue-supportive uh, ministry, but it's, again, furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ in that local language. Paul concludes with this thought here. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Can we just stop there for just a moment and say no? Were all apostles in that church in Corinth? No. Were all prophets in that church in Corinth? No. Were all teachers in that church in Corinth? No. Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer, obviously, is no. These are rhetorical questions with all a negative response. Not everyone has that gift. Not everyone has those talents. Not everyone God has placed or has set in the ministry to do those things. The answer truly is no. And by the way, if the answer is no all the way, why are some ministries saying all need to speak with tongues? If it's a mark of the Holy Spirit of God, why did Paul say, no, it's not? God's, Paul said not everyone has the gift of healing. Not everyone has the gift of miracles. If that context was to be applied to the local church today, why is the answer rhetorically no? These were gifts for a time. These were gifts in their proper roles and places, and we truly need to make sure the context is there. Look at verse number 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts. That word covet there means to be zealous. It means to be or become marked by active interest, passion, enthusiasm for something, often a cause or faith. An interest in other words, as the Spirit of God moves upon one heart, he develops a desire, an interest in their heart to do what? To be a teacher. To work in helps, in administrations. To work in furthering the gospel through language and the interpretation thereof. 
God places a desire upon one's heart to set them in a place in the ministry. I don't know exactly what your place may be in the church, but I do know God has a place for you. We can look at spiritual gifts and we can talk more about that in depth and we can see and we can prayerfully say, okay, here's exactly where God uh, might have you for this time and we would happily do so. And if you're wondering about those things, please see us and let me know and we would be happy to help guide and lead and direct and to see how the Holy Spirit leads and opens opportunity. But God tells us, Paul reminds us to be desirous to be interested in the best gifts. What are the best gifts? First apostles. Are there any apostles today? No, so desire apostleship cannot be. What about prophets? Can one be a prophet today in context of Scripture? No, because the canon of Scripture has been given. There is no more prophets. So what's the next best gift? Teacher. Can one be a teacher in a church? Absolutely. And God gives teachers. We'll see that again in just a moment. God does all of those things, and then God tells us to covet the best gifts, to look forward, to be interested in, to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a passion if that is what he has for you for those areas of, uh, of service. A gift of helps, a gift of administrations. What an incredible thing it is that we have an opportunity to be a part in a church that has many areas of service reaching forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said in this last phrase of verse number 31, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Paul says we looked at gifts and he says I want to show you a better way. He says you're focusing upon the talents and the gifts that others have. He said, but there's even a better way for that. And he defines that better way in verse number one of the following chapter. And he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity. Charity is love. It's the working of love. It's like faith of love it is that expression or that action of love and he says love is better than all of these gifts love is truly so vitally important there's a better way and that way is the action of love this isn't on my notes but i want to take you to it look at ephesians chapter 4 i want you to see here as a church grows Remember, the church in Corinth was a baby church that was very chaotic and very confused. It was a lot of things going on in this church. And as this church needed to grow, Paul addresses another ministry that has grown, that has established itself in right doctrine. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 8, notice the gifts that Paul speaks of here. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave, notice this list here, some apostles and some prophets, Again, same like he did in the church in Corinth. Again, because that church in Ephesus was in a time when the canon of Scripture was being, uh, uh, was being completed, was being given. And notice now what he says, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love. And that is how the truth ought to be communicated. It ought to be communicated in a loving way, in a way in which wants to help and admonish. May grow up unto him 
in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the, in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Paul teaches the church in Ephesus, he says, look, here's some gifts, and none of the gifts that he meant, very few of the gifts that he mentioned in Corinth did he mention in Ephesus. Why? Because this church was a church that was rooted upon the word of God, and they were a church that was growing together as a ministry. This church was not a carnal church like Corinth. This was a church that had the heart of God, and this was a church that Paul admonished. He exhorted some gifts. But watch, if these gifts were for all of the same, for every church, why did Paul not tell the church in Ephesus the same gifts? Because they're not necessary in every church. They were necessary for a time. They had their proper place. But some of those gifts, God says, I'm doing away with. They're ending. And now that I've set them, go forward with the gospel of Christ. What a God we have. He constructs the church like no one else. He has given truly the church to go forward, to preach Jesus Christ, to let others know the glorious gospel of Christ. And that's our heart's desire. That's what we're praying for next week on Easter. We want to encourage and we're opening and stepping out by faith uh, to uh, have two different service times to encourage uh, people to come and to be a part and to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because we know the power of Jesus Christ. We know what the gospel can do and we fully and we desire to serve others with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why there are some that will be working during the 9 a.m. service. That's why there will be some that will be ministering during the 11 a.m. service. That's why there will be some that will be ministering in between the services. That's why there are some who have already ministered and done some a, 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 a laborious work designing and bringing and preparing and getting things put together. Why? Because God uses the gift of helps and of administrations to come together and said, let's further the cause of Christ. Here's an avenue. Let's do, let's go forward preaching Jesus Christ. Oh, how important it is that we understand the church is God's construction. He's designed it. He's constructed it. And the message should be loud and clear. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. More about Jesus and his word. That should be our heart. And that should be our desire. May it be so.